Beyond the Fairways. With PGA Tour professional Jay Delsing and hosted by four-time Emmy Award-winning broadcaster Dan McLaughlin. Now, it's Beyond the Fairways. Another edition of Beyond the Fairways. I'm Dan McLaughlin. That's Jay Delsing. We're presented by Doherty Business Solutions. And Jay, great to see you, number one. And I am looking forward to our guest, Joe Scavrin, longtime caddy on the PGA Tour. Danny, it's great to do another show with you and to have Joe. Joe caddy for Ricky Fowler for, I think, what, 11, 12 years, whatever it was, a long, long time. Some great success. But Joe is one of these young guys, loves the game, grows the game. He's just one of these guys that's got a lot of energy. It's going to be fun to talk to him today. I want to find out how it's changed, you know, decade plus being a caddy on the PGA Tour and with one of the most prominent players in Ricky Fowler and a fan favorite and a guy that could win a major and now is on the comeback. Now he's not caddying for him right now, but I want to find out how the tour has changed for the caddy from when you play to what we see now in 2023. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Danny, we have so many questions asked I want to ask him about Tom Kim when he jumped in the, the mud pond over there at Oak Hill a couple weeks ago. And, uh, yeah, the, the, it's going to be interesting, you know, coming out on tour with a guy like Ricky Fowler who I was blown away when I met Ricky Fowler. What the flamboyant dress and the and the longer hair and it just, you know, kind of gives you this misnomer of who he is. He is so super respectful. You would love to have him marry your daughter. Things like that. He and a great golfer and just super respectful. So I, I, I'm a huge Ricky fan and I'm a huge Joe fan as well. Can't wait to ask him what it's like for a caddy starting, let's say, on a Monday and going through the week, which finishes up on a Sunday, but what the caddy does every single day for not only his preparation, but ultimately, most importantly, the preparation of the guy that he's carrying the bag for. Yeah, Danny, great point. And, you know, we hear this all the time where we talk about the team. This is my team, you know, so he's a, on a team with Je- with uh, Tom Kim now. But you know what else is interesting is that the caddies themselves have a special fraternity, and I can't wait to ask him about that because they help each other. There's also some fun rivalries in there. You know, they, they want their player to take the title and, and get that flag on 18 as we've mentioned a few times so yeah there's a lot of questions and and uh, he's going to drop lots of knowledge on us I, I can't wait so they count the clubs replace ball marks the divots know the course well keep the clubs clean I mean these are all things that a caddy has to do and looking forward to seeing what that responsibility is like for him yeah and the biggest thing is knowing the golf course oh you betcha Danny the questions you would you know you'll sit there and go you know what's the cover on that bunker over there. And it might be an obscure bunker, but you might get yourself in a weird position off a tee on a par five or something, and he needs to know that. And the guys like Joe, there might be some weird way that you don't have an answer, but these guys, when they're walking the golf course, man, they get it from every angle and and do all sorts of stuff. It's really impressive. And you better have an understanding, as you said, of the course, because there are times that shot comes up, and you know this so well, You go to your caddy and say, what are you seeing? 
You're watching how I'm playing today. Yep. You know what's working, yep. and you understand the yardage. You understand the wind. You understand the greens, how they're rolling. What do you think I should do on this shot? That's part of the relationship. Uh, it, it is, and that's not easy. And think about it. If you, the guy with all the expertise and with all the t- game and talent, are asking him, you got to be in a pretty tough spot. Ooh. And you've got to have somebody that's able to keep their wits about them, Danny. And most importantly, you need a guy on the bag when you're coming down the stretch to win a tournament or when you really need them, that they don't show stress and signs of being scared. Because if your man's scared, you, it's hard. Sometimes you're looking at him like, do I trust that information? Do I even want that opinion? <laughs> Absolutely. This is U.S. Open week, and we're going to get into our picks of the week coming up later in the show. We have a tip segment. We've got innovations in golf. If you've missed our previous podcast, we have had huge guests on the podcast And we've had two-time U.S. Open winners. One of those, Andy North, and we asked him about the importance of what it's like not to win the Masters, not to win the British or the PGA, but winning the U.S. Open. Yeah, it was. I from the time you were a junior player, the USGA Junior was the most important tournament. Then, as an amateur, the U.S. Am was the most important tournament. I I always embraced USGA golf. I loved what they were trying to ask out of a player. And to be your national champion is, you know, extra special. Andy, I don't think there was a day that went by when I was a little kid on this really lousy Muni golf course that I grew up with with my mom's clubs that I didn't have a putt to win the U.S. Open. It was always I wanted to be the best player in the U.S. Yeah, I think I I can remember as a kid the same sort of deal that you'd be sitting in the putting green waiting for, you know, a ride home at night. You're hitting five-footers, and this is when the U.S. Open to beat Arnold. This is when the U.S. Open to beat Jack. You know, those are the kind of things that we all strive for, and that was the tournament we all knew about because it was your national championship. That's Andy North, and we also had Curtis Strange, who is a two-time U.S. Open winner. What did it mean for him to win our nation's championship? It's special because it's our national championship, Um, and, and that's first and foremost. Uh, it's the biggest tournament that I or Jay could win. I think any any of these elevated events with top the top 50 players in the world is would be pretty special uh, because you are beating the best in the world. And when, whenever you win a tournament and it's and it's a good field, there's a little bit on the play ride home. There's a little bit of extra satisfaction there. Uh, at first, beer goes down a little bit smoother. <laughs> you know what I mean? uh, versus, you know, they're all special. Try you, you, the tour is so good, and and so many talented guys are all special. But to win the U.S. Open, I don't, being every, anybody can qualify, uh, it, it's it's nice of being open. But uh, it's special because it's our national championship, and it is one of the best fields. So go back and listen on Beyond the Fairways, Andy North and Curtis Strange. Those are great interviews, and those are great perspectives on the U.S. Open. I mean, how does it get any better? These are the guys that walk the walk. They went through that battle and came out victorious. I just love hearing that. You know, Curtis was talking about that first beer tasted a little better. Yeah. And, um, and, and Andy North talking about what he did as a kid, you know, standing over a five-foot putt waiting like to get you. you said I did that the too. same thing. Danny, and it was always to win the U.S. Open because I wanted to be the best golfer in our country. You know, just super cool. Joe Scalverin is coming up. This is Beyond the Fairways, and we're presented by Doherty Business Solutions. 
Darty Business Solutions, our title sponsor, is a leader in our community in so many areas. Do they have over 2,500 teammates in over 30 states and three countries? Yes, they do. Are they the largest IT consultant firm in our area? Yes, they are. Are they the largest software developer in the region? Yes, they are. But here are a few more important things to know about Darty Business Solutions. They were the presenting sponsor of the Ascension Charity Classic. This is a community game changer. First of all, it builds diversity in the IT workforce. Hundreds of mostly African-American women are getting fifty dollars to $60,000 a year jobs right out of high school. That's right, right out of high school. Ron Darty, company founder, chaired the 2023 Heartball, which supported the local American Heart Association chapters and raised over $600,000 in one evening. These are just a few examples of the many things that Darty Business Solutions do for our community. Darty Business Solutions. It's time for the Beyond the Fairways player profile. Let's get back to Jay and Dan. Beyond the Fairways is presented by Darty Business Solutions. And I know, Jay, this is a guest that you've been trying to get on and you're fired up to get on. Oh, I'm so glad to have Joe Scavern with us. Joe, good morning and thanks for joining us, man. Thanks for having me. I, I so appreciate What a great career you have. First of all, you worked for Ricky for almost, gosh, I know it was over 10. Was it 12 years? How, how long did you work yeah, for Ricky Fowler? 13 years. 13 years. Tell us a little bit about how you got involved in the game and how that whole partnership, because one of the things that I love about the modern game that we really didn't have, Joe, was this team idea, you know, where you uh, are such a vital part of the success for the player. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of different things that went into it, but the basics of it were that Ricky and I grew up in the same town. I'm eight years older. Uh, my dad's a club pro. My mom ran the local junior golf association. I grew up playing competitively. Knew Rick from the time he was a little kid. He grew up in my mom's junior golf association. And basically when he was turning pro, he was trying out veteran caddies and looking for guys when he got exemptions and got into events. And then he asked me to come do one event in um, Columbus at uh, the Ohio State course while he was still an amateur. We ended up bogeying a 72nd hole, going to a playoff, losing in a playoff and he said hey will you come out with me in the fall and i came out with him and uh it turned into 13 years it's amazing 13 <laughs> years of doing that did you ever imagine you'd be in this position of, of being a caddy on the pga tour no i didn't i always kind of dreamed of being a player i played college golf played mini tours and just wasn't good enough and then i went into coaching college golf the whole caddy thing i caddied for brendan Steele a little bit just you know, as a buddy going out there with him when he was playing at the time the Nationwide Tour and another friend of ours named Charlotte Mayorkas that was playing the LPGA and I did some events for them. But I never saw it as a career until the Ricky thing came up. Joe, I can remember I was playing a few Nationwide events right before I was going to turn 50 and we were playing out in Ontario somewhere because uh, isn't Ricky from somewhere somewhere down in in SoCal? I I believe, right? Yeah, we're from the Marietta area, yeah, Marietta. which is about forty minutes from Empire Lakes. So yeah, and like the college I went to is fifteen or twenty minutes from Empire Lakes. So yeah, that was like 
the big event around our area for the, you know, whatever it was called at the different times, <laughs> right. tour, you know, nationwide tour. As old as I am, it was probably buy.com or something stupid like that. But, anyway. <laughs> but, but Joe, I can remember Ricky coming out and having all these people wearing these t-shirts and he, he had a whole slew of followers out there. And I, the biggest thing I remember, so I felt like, hell, I got to introduce myself to this kid because I wasn't a huge follower of college golf at the time. And I just remember how polite, how just a great guy. Yeah. Yeah. So the, that was probably the Saboba Springs event. He played right after he turned pro, he played Boise and Saboba and they made the Puma did the uh, Ricky is my homeboy t-shirts oh, that yeah, were yeah. and everybody was wearing them and they did like the Puma launch and the whole thing. That was close to our area as well, about 30 minutes, 40 minutes from where we grew up. And yeah, you're exactly right. He kind of, you know, the clothes and everything were flamboyant, got people's attention. But when you talk to him, he was so respectful down to earth, like, you know, really respectful of veterans and personality was very different than what the clothes and the hair and everything the game gave off. It's interesting, the relationship between a, a caddy and the player. How do you think that that develops? Is it organic? Is it something where you know the player beforehand or there's a connection? How does it all come about in your opinion? Yeah, I think there's different, you know, I think Jay would know that there's different ways to go about it and how you kind of find what works for you and every player has something different they like. And I think the big thing for Rick when he was coming out was that he wanted comfortability. And so with the relationship with me and the family and everything else, I think he had that comfortability. So I was kind of learning on the ropes, you know, the details of caddy and I knew the game and playing, but we kind of learned together, which was a little bit different than some guys do. Some guys go for the veteran caddy that kind of knows what's going on and then develop the relationship as well. We had the relationship and kind of developed together learning the ropes and being in situations and all those things. You guys know the game. You have to inherently know the game in order to almost bypass some of this, some of the things that if you didn't, I mean, just by playing at a high level like you did. So, so you're working immediately on, you already know the game. You already know the flow of the game. You have the respect of the game and, and the other as a, as a, as a competitor right next to you. I see that right away on, on an, where some, Someone comes out on tour like like when you did yeah i think that that's that's the advantage you always have if you played competitively is what i always said to people because in my mind no matter if you were contending to win junior golf events or ajga events or college events or ncaa's at that time that was the biggest thing to you right so even though it's not the pga tour you know how a guy feels in that moment because that's how you felt in that moment and so you know just knowing those kind of things like especially like on the cut line or on a sunday um and then things like reading lies and just kind of knowing you know hey the guy doesn't feel like hitting one hard right now he wants to hit kind of a half shot or hey the nerves are kind of there he doesn't want the half shot he wants to go to the full shot because there's always kind of as you know an option of almost two shots for each shot that's out there and then just kind of my thing was always trying to figure out what my player was more comfortable with out of those things and getting him confident in that rather than hey it's seven iron and that's that's all it is, right? What was it like then when you said to one of your guys, you go, I don't know about that, you know? Or did you or did you try not to do that to make sure that they were confident in the swing? Yeah, I think that there's moments that I've been very adamant about my opinion on something. If I think, you know, especially when you're talking about like strategy wise or chipping out or something of that sort. And then when it's in between a six and a seven iron, 
you know, that's a little bit more of the feel of the player, what kind of shot they want to hit. And then maybe what I've always tried to do is ask them questions and point out like, okay, where are we landing it? Where are we favoring? All those kind of things that maybe those questions get them more into what I'm thinking of the number and the club and what we're trying to do. And then by the time you ask them those questions, they're convinced that that's the right way to do it. Or if you ask them the questions and they're still convinced of what they're doing, it's ultimately, it's up to them, right? They're, I'm just giving an opinion. They're the ones pulling the trigger. Tell the listeners a little bit about having the front row seat. I mean, damn, when you think about some of the cool stuff you got to witness, and I know that you've got a, an entire encyclopedia full of stories, most of the fun that I remember were happened on the practice round days and some of the offsite days, you know, where you, you break away with JT or some of the some of the fun things that happened. But what a ride it has to been, bud, to, to be able to to have that seat win at the players and and win at Wells Fargo and and and, and see some of the best golf in the world from that vantage point. When you take a step back and look at it, it's very surreal, right? With dreaming of playing the PGA Tour and being a part of all that stuff. And, you know, I've gotten the next best thing, caddying for guys that caddying for Ricky for 13 years and what he did and a top 10 player in the world and getting to fourth in the world and contending in majors. And like you said, Ryder Cups, President's Cups, getting to be around Phil, Tiger, um, witnessing the chip in right there at Memorial with Tiger, you know, witnessing Ricky's finish at players, you know, the playoff with Rory. I mean, there's just so many things that when you look back on it, it's just, it's very cool that I got to be a part of it. Joe, when I watch a guy win the tournament on 18, I actually watch the caddy. I, I really do. I, I love, you know, the reaction of the player, you know, just a sense of relief. But what is it like when your guy wins and the satisfaction that you have as a teammate putting it all together? And then going to get that flag, Joe. That's Don't right. forget about that flag. Yeah. Take the flag home. Yeah, the flag is very cool for us. You know, I mean, as you guys know, it's a sport that you just deal with a lot of failure, right? And um, even your successful weeks, you know, most of the time you're not the top guy, right? So the wins are few and far between um, unless your name's Tiger Woods you know you just have to enjoy those moments because all the weeks you put in the stuff you see your guy go through stuff you go through with your guy the prep all those things you know it's kind of it's the payoff and uh, it's very cool so now mm-hmm. you're working for Tom Kim, and I got to tell you, mm-hmm. I love this guy. I don't know him at all. I've I've never mm-hmm. played with him or anything, but I just love his personality. I love he's he's a super aggressive player, and he's also he's obviously and got an, an incredibly outgoing personality. But talk to talk about some of the differences and the nuances that you had to pick up, you know, to be successful with Tom compared to being successful with Ricky. Yeah, so it's a very different situation because, like I said, I was kind of learning on the ropes with Rick. We had the comfort with the personalities. So with Tom, it was more that him going after a veteran caddy, us getting to know each other, kind of finding out if we worked well together. The cool thing about it was instantly we got along, even though, you know, he's 20 years old and I'm 42. Our personalities just mesh. Um, You could tell from the start. And then getting thrown in right away, you know, with the president's cup and then going straight to Vegas and he wins with no bogeys and just the start we had was so cool and so much fun. But yeah, there's definitely a difference in personality types with him and Rick. There's a difference in the style of game they play. They're so different in so many ways, both really good guys, good people, fun to work with, 
and um, I've really enjoyed it. It's been it's been fun for me to get you know a kid that's fresh out, excited, all those things, and then also seeing the value in things that Rick already kind of knew the last few years, right? That he's been to all the courses as many times as me, and he kind of knows which pins you go for, which ones you don't, you know, all those kind of things. And Tom hadn't been to any of these places. So just getting to kind of talk to him about those things and the strategy and all those things that I was involved with was very fun for me. Hey, Joe and Jay, if you can hold on for just a moment, want to tell our listeners about Henson Shaving. I use it. Jay uses it. Family and friends use Henson Shaving. And that's why you got to meet Henson Shaving. Henson Shaving is a family-owned aerospace parts manufacturer that has made parts for the ISS. That's the International Space Station and Mars Rover. And now they are bringing precision engineering to your shaving experience. Razor blades are like diving boards. The longer the board, the more wobble. The more wobble, the more nicks, cuts, and scrapes when you shave. A bad shave isn't a blade problem. It's an extension problem, and it gets better. The razor has built-in channels to evacuate hair and cream, which makes clogging virtually impossible. Seriously, Henson Shaving wants the best razor, not the best razor business. That means no plastic, no subscriptions, and no proprietary blades. The Henson Razor works with standard dual edge blades to give you that old school shave with benefits of new school tech once you own a henson razor it's only about three to five dollars to replace the blades that's per year it's amazing it's time to say no to subscriptions yes to a razor that'll last you a lifetime visit hensonshaving.com slash btf hensonshaving.com slash btf for beyond the fairways to pick the razor for you, use that uh, promo code BTF. You'll get two years worth of blades free with your razor. Just make sure to add them to your cart. That's 100 free blades when you head to HensonShaving.com slash BTF and make sure you use that code BTF. It's really interesting, isn't it, Joe, that all of a sudden you're a veteran guy now. <laughs> you're, you yeah. know, and, you're, and yeah. I can remember when the PGA Tour has this, this rule that if you've made X amount of money or cuts or whatever they give you these special exemptions when you're 49 and 50 to try to get ready for the champions tour and i can remember getting paired as a 48 49 year old guy with some 20 year olds and going like i gotta spend five hours with these kids and i don't have one damn thing to say to them you know i'm like i don't know i don't even know the language we're speaking anymore yeah yeah it's wild and that's that's the cool thing about tom is tom's He's still 20 and, you know, we joke around, he acts like a 20 year old in certain ways, but then he's so mature in other ways. I mean, this kid's lived in four or five different countries and he turned pro when he was 15 and a half. And so he's been making a living playing golf since, you know, he was 16 years old and he's played all these different tours and seen all these different things. So he's mature in a lot of ways. And we actually do have a lot in common, which you wouldn't think growing up in different countries and being so different in ages but we do have some things that um we have in common and then some other things that we don't that we give each other a hard time about and kind of both gotten interested in hey joe take us through a week of a caddy so the event let's say ends on sunday and now take mm -hmm. us through the next week monday through sunday and what it's it's like for the caddy as simple as just getting their meals all that kind of stuff yeah, so I think it's different depending on who you work for, right? Like it was different for me with Rick. By the time you've been out there for that long, 
you know, I'd go walk the course on a Monday. I'd travel on Monday, walk the course on a Monday. We'd start on Tuesday and, you know, it was Tuesday, Wednesday prep. With Tom, Tom's a very, very hard worker, very much a prep guy, and he hasn't seen these golf courses. So there's a lot more traveling on Sunday now, us doing work on Monday, um, us doing work on Tuesday, us doing work on Wednesday. So for me this year, it's a lot of traveling Sunday. We usually play nine holes, practice on Monday, play nine holes, practice on Tuesday, play the pro-am, which is usually nine holes, practice on Wednesday, and then we're ready to go. As far as like general stuff, you know, you stay in an Airbnb or a hotel, usually room with another caddy or multiple caddies if you're, you know, in a house. Major weeks usually start a little earlier. Like Tom likes to do nine holes, which I think is great. He gets a lot out of those. You know, he can put a lot more time into the greens and everything rather than trying to get 18 in in the practice round. And that's pretty much the basics of it. You kind of travel place to place, kind of know where you've stayed in the past. You have your caddies that you stay with. And then you kind of just do your thing you know, in different towns every week. I think I know the answer to this, but when you walk the course on Monday, what kind of notes go in that little pad that you've got? What, <laughs> what, what are you putting down yeah. there on that Monday? So for me, with most of these places, I've been around them so much. I just keep my past yardage books. You keep updating them. You know, we had to change out all the yardage books in 22, right? Um, when they made the changes. So you're just converting notes. If there's, you're looking for any changes, kind of reminding yourself of leaves, some courses I haven't seen as many times, so I'm going to check on some more detail that maybe I don't have. For me, I'm paying attention to, okay, what clubs are we going to be hitting off the tees? What areas are we trying to hit, and hit to? And then where are the leaves to all the pins? And then going over that stuff with Tom, you know, there'll be a little bit more of that. That might take two walks. There's going to be a lot more detail on the walk. I'm not just looking for changes. I'm trying to figure out where they're going to put the pins. How do we want to play this hole? All those kind of things. So there's a little bit more detail going into that walk when you haven't seen the courses. Talk to the folks a little bit about the changes and hopefully, and I'm almost certain, improvements for the professional caddy and for you guys that are such a huge part of the PGA Tour. That during my career, you know, we just didn't have the resources to take care of you guys much. Obviously, number one is money kind of changes everything, right? So because we're playing for so much money, I think you see a lot more people pursuing this career. So that's changed things, number one. Number two, just even in the time I've been out, the way it's evolved, the caddy area, the food that we get, the parking, being treated so much better and better, tournaments paying attention to us. It's gotten so good. I mean, it's really hard to find a tournament that doesn't do a good job for us. And you almost get spoiled. You hear guys kind of complaining. You're like, hey, what are we complaining about here? You know, there's nothing to be complaining about. And you hear the stories from Bones and Fluff and all these guys and how they asked, used to have to stand outside and all these different things and um, no food and all these things. And now we're pretty well taken care of. The yardage books are unbelievable. Mark Long does such a good job with that. It cuts down a lot of your work. You know, you're not drawing a lot of things in there. Everything's so scientific. So many things that have gotten better and better and better since I've been out there. And you've got such a, a great opportunity to make a really nice living. And, you know, yeah. I was I was playing in a, a Champions event a couple of years ago, and I was walking to, to hit some balls, and I heard two caddies saying, yeah, my omelet, you know, the, the omelet they cooked for me today was, you know, too runny. And I was thinking, <laughs> oh, man, we have, we are, yeah. we're good. You know, if, the, if yeah. the problem today is that the eggs were a little undercooked, we're okay. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing, right? You can get comfortable and – forget 
what it used to be like and how fortunate you are. And uh, we've got it so good now. And with these designated events and this money out there, I mean, it's uh, it's a great way to make a living. You mentioned some of the caddies of yesteryear, if you will, and some of those guys are still uh, going around on tour. But do caddies help each other in terms of, hey, what are you seeing on this? Are you seeing that? Or do they say, no, nah, I'm going to keep that to myself because I'm working for my guy? No, yeah, you definitely. Uh, when I was younger, some of the guys took me under their wing, and I learned a lot from them. And the biggest thing was, you know, getting to be a part of Ryder Cup teams early on. Those guys kind of took me on, and I was part of the group. That I was really fortunate with that. And Bones was always the guy that he went out of his way for me, and we, we have a great relationship. He's one of my best friends now. We live in the same town. We're at the same club. We share a locker. He's been huge for me along the way, just getting access to a guy like him and all the things he saw and did and learning. The biggest thing I saw back then was learning how to be a professional, watching him and LaCava and John Wood and those guys and how they handled things and knowing when to keep your mouth shut, when to speak up, how to do things and how to act professional. And to me, Bones kind of was the guy that brought caddies into that, you know, started doing ads and all the things he's done. And, you know, he, not a mistake that he was the first guy to do really well in TV and all those things. And he's kind of been the guy that to me really forwarded our, our business, our profession. And so I was fortunate to be around him. And then, you know, just on a day-to-day basis, the guys you're friends with, yeah, you talk about staying in the house together. You talk about pins, you talk about experiences, you kind of bounce ideas off each other because we're all pulling for each other. If, you know, if Tom's not winning, I want one of my good friends to win, you know, Shane Knight and Victor Hovland, are two of the guys I like the most out on tour. So I was pulling hard for them, you know, over the weekend. And so you pull for your buddies when you're not in it. You know, Joe, when I would do a pro-am and I, I, I really gave a lot to the pro-ams. I, I, I really enjoyed them probably more than any other pro did, but my caddies that were with me were a huge part of it because the guys always wanted, you, you know, they wanted to talk to my caddy to go like, what are you guys going to do on this hole? Or why is this hole so hard? You know? And when I started a business where we would do some traveling and customers sort of golf, I always wanted to get a local caddy Joe because they bring so much to the table. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you guys are so focused on, you have so many other things that you have to deal with, like trying to perform worried about if something's up with your golf swing or your putting stroke and trying to fix all that stuff, you know, and all we have to focus on is, okay, how are we going to play this golf course, clear thinking, get the numbers right, get the wind right, those kind of things. So it's just a different perspective, right? Because, you know, when you're playing golf, like even when I go play, like, you know, you're worried about so many other things besides those things. So in a pro-am group or when somebody's talking to you about golf, I'm very objective when I'm caddying and I'm very subjective when I'm playing, right? Because I got things in the way. So you guys have enough to worry about. And so it allows us to kind of just worry about that other stuff, right? I, I'm sure your favorite place to caddy has to be when your player wins. So that's that's yeah. pretty self-explanatory. But is there a place that you really enjoy that, you, that as a caddy you say, this is a place, I mean, I'm on hallowed grounds or I just love yeah. this place. I love the people, love the weather. Is there a place that, that comes to mind? Yeah, Augusta's number one for me. You know, I was fortunate that Ricky played well there, but I, I grew up, that was the number one event for me. I watched it every year with my dad. I, the Masters is just it for me. And 
getting the caddy as many times as I have, and then having two years of not getting the caddy there and being back this year, that's definitely number one. And then golf course wise, regular events, I just think Riviera is phenomenal. I just think it's probably the best one we play, especially when it's somewhat firm. And then I enjoy the event at the Phoenix Open. I live in Scottsdale. <laughs> friends with a bunch of the Thunderbirds, you know, Ricky won there. Like there's just a lot of things with that event that I really enjoy as well. Joe, when you travel around, have you developed, I know you've developed friendships, relationships and things like that. I was taught when we were talking to John Wood, we were asking about favorite restaurants or anything like that. Have you got a, a, a city that you like uh, more so than a golf course or, or more so than others? Yeah, I think the city, it depends on like the friends I have there. So like, I really like Jack's Beach, Ponte Vedra because a few of my caddy friends live there and, you know, get to know their friends. And that week's always been a fun week for me. Columbus is a great week. I've got a few friends there. Dublin's gotten so cool with the restaurants and the things they have there. And, you know, like I stayed with my buddy that lives on number four this year. So when you have events like that, that you're not just staying in a hotel by yourself and going to Chipotle every night, it obviously <laughs> makes a lot better. What's the craziest thing you've seen on a golf course? And you've seen a lot of things. What's the craziest thing you've mm. seen? Number one that comes to mind, we were playing when the event used to be at Cordoval, what's now the Fortnite event up there in Northern California. Ricky was up there coming down the stretch in the 18th holes and elevated tee. And a girl ran under the ropes. She'd had a few drinks and uh, decided she was going to get Ricky's autograph during the round, seeing a girl run under the ropes and kind of running at Ricky as we were walking down the fairway, trying to get his attention. That's the one that comes to mind. I'm sure I've seen some other stuff, but that one was pretty funny. Joe, tell us just a little bit about what happened at the, the PGA Championship with Tom and the the pond and the, the, the that, that that there's got to be way more to that story than we saw on tv yeah that would be up there i mean basics uh summary of it the cameras from what i saw got on it a little bit later after he had gotten out and you know it was more the wash off you know change part of it but basically hit it right in that hazard I was over there getting the number. He was like, I'm going to go check and see if the ball's in there. You know, it's a major championship. He's trying to save every shot he can. I remember saying, be careful. He got in there and his foot kind of started to sink. And it was like, okay, man, maybe you should get out of there. And he kept going. And then when he was trying to come back, he got fully stuck up to his knees. And at that point, I've walked back over there. He's like, I might need you to get me out <laughs> and i took a couple steps took one step okay it was okay second step it was okay third step i was like i'm going in if i come in there and i wasn't close enough to get a club or anything i said you got to get yourself out of there <laughs> and he lifted himself out of there and that's why his elbows had mud on him as well because he was pushing himself out of the mud he said to me he's like he was covered in mud and he's like should i just rinse off in the water and i said yeah i think that's probably the smartest move and that's what he did and he had a sweater in the bag and that's when he changed from the shirt to the sweater and most amazing part was he just stood back there and laced the two iron up on the fringe and two putted for five and we got out of there and then he went and hit the last three greens of regulation and made all pars it was a pretty good finish uh, around that place keeping us where we were in the mix to make the cut and, and hang around if we played well on Friday. Joe, was did he actually see his ball? Like, was his ball 
visible or was he just was he just not familiar with this stuff was so mucky that he was going to sink into it so there was two balls that were visible that the spotters up there told us that those had been there for an hour plus and so i trusted the spotters of hey it's been there for an hour plus but to tom's credit he was going in there to see if possibly one of those was his and if it was playable and the problem was even if one of those was his like the stuff was just too, you know, it was almost like quicksand. So you weren't going to be able to hit it. But he didn't know that till he got four or five steps in there. And he's 20. He's trying to save every shot he can. And that's what he was doing, you know. Joe, do you think there's a, a time period in which, and I'm not saying this happened with you and Ricky, and I'm, I mean this is a general question, but where the relationship can get stale, where you're still very good friends, that's not the problem. But maybe professionally it, it's good for you to get a different look and for the player. Absolutely. I think that that definitely happens and think that as a caddy, you know, you battle with that wondering if you're helping your guy. I know I did, you know, we were struggling for the three years. I was just wondering if my message wasn't resonating anymore or if I wasn't talking to him the right way or if there was something that needed to be adjusted when you keep making adjustments and you're not having success the bottom line is no matter how good friends you are like for Ricky for example he wants to play good golf and he wants to be successful if he needs another voice to hear that to do that you know sometimes it's coach sometimes it's caddy and it doesn't mean that somebody's not good at their job it just means that sometimes the player needs to hear something different to get things turned around if you look at how this has all worked out, Ricky and I are still close. Our relationship is great. We talk all the time. When I see him, he's got a caddy that is a fresh new voice for him that's from the same town as us, that's in between us in age, that was a very good player as well. And he's excited to be there. And Ricky's playing well again. It's been beneficial for Tom and I, you know, this relationship. And I just think it's an example of four guys that it was beneficial for all of us in that moment and that's what you're ideally looking for ricky got married he's had a child you know it makes it really really hard to play the pga tour when you start getting on with your life when you're single and you know you're you have less distractions and I, and I hate that word because your children are not necessarily distractions but you know what i'm talking about you start adding different variables to the mix it the, the pga tour can get really really difficult and i have been so from a distance of thirty thousand foot view proud of ricky for the way that he's handled it when you guys uh broke up he handled it so professionally and it didn't surprise me at all that you guys are still friends and the fact that he went back to butch he swallowed some of his pride and some of the things that most tour players but don't do and they usually don't come back yeah i mean like you said people forget that you guys are people you know, like they think, you know, when we watch athletes on TV, you you think they're just superhumans, but they deal with the same stuff that other people do. You know, family issues, deaths, like anything that goes on in life, everybody's so good. Those kind of things can just start adding up. And then if doubts start coming in golf or one thing goes, you know, it kind of snowballs. And then you've got these other guys that are coming up that are 21, 22, 23, and all they're focused on is being the best, being the best, being the best. And then you throw in media, sponsorships, you know, that you're under the microscope failing in front of people. It, it can get hard on these guys. And then you're on the road and your family's got to be on the road and you've got to manage that from there. And there's so many other things. And I'm not telling people to feel sorry for anybody because we all 
choose this life and we have a great life and there's so many benefits to it. But there are drawbacks in certain areas of life that people don't understand that these guys have to deal with and they have to go out there and perform all the time and they don't have teammates to pick them up. You know, all you got is your caddy next to you that's trying to tell you the best they can, you know, to help you out and your coach and really the rest of it is just guys competing against you and you're on your own. Hey, Joe, you've been incredible with your time and such great information and everybody can tell you the way that you go about this game is that you have an appreciation. So that's something we always try to focus on and, and thanks for doing this. This was great. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Enjoyed it. It's the breakdown. There it is. A win for the ages. That is better than most. Better than most. Maybe. Yes, sir. Here it is. The return to glory on Beyond the Fairways. Breakdown with the interview of Joe Scalvron, longtime caddy on the PGA Tour. First and foremost, Jay, I loved it. He was so open, honest, and I could listen to him all day. Danny, same, same. He just was so upbeat, and you could tell he had, he still has a huge affinity for Ricky Fowler. That says a lot, Danny, when you go through everything that you've gone through, and then you're going to have to split up the business side of the relationship a lot of times there's hard feelings, and that is not easy. Boy, when I asked him, what is a week like for a caddy, I don't think the average golf fan has any idea. They think, well, the guy's on the bag, he's pulling out a club, he's handing it to the player. Man, there is so much that goes into being a caddy on the PGA Tour. It's it's kind of like we've, we've talked to some of our instructors where they're a part-time parent, part-time sports psychologist, part-time confidant, you know. It's it's the same thing as a caddy. There's times, Danny, when you know your player's struggling or he's indecisive. And, man, if you have the right antidote or the right answer at the right time, it can be a game-changer for you and the team. Ultimately, it comes down to re the uh, relationship between the caddy and and the player, and I, I say relationship, and when I think of that, I just think trust. If I'm the player, I got to trust my caddy. Oh, 100%, man. I mean, you're in a foxhole, and there's only you and one other person. Otherwise, it's, you're an island out there. You yeah. know, the one thing that is so hard about golf, Danny, is that you've got to wear it. When you're playing well, it's super, super fun. When it's not going so well, there's no place to hide. And to have someone that can help, you know, bolster your confidence – give you a different perspective, tell you to hang in there, remind you of other past successes. Those are what the great caddies do. As we wrap up this segment, how did you back in the day, and you played nearly 30 years on the PGA Tour, how did the caddies come about? Was it just a guy that you felt like, eh, okay, he's a good guy, I want him on my bag? Was it relationship, friendship, probably a little bit of everything, but how did it all come about, you know, let's say 20 years ago as opposed to what we're seeing with Joe Scalvern? You know, Danny, the pa the caddies had a pack that they basically traveled into, and then as, once you got playing on tour for a while, you got to know some of those guys and watch them work and it was always important on who they worked for you watch when you compete with these guys and you're you know there's three players and three caddies out there every single day for the most part and you get to know a person a lot by spending four or five six hours with them and so I was always making mental notes I really like the way this guy went about his business I like the way he handled himself and things like that when I first got on tour I grabbed a buddy and he caddied for me for almost the entire year and we we, we had a blast we wound up staying together a lot and that was a little too you know it's nice to get 
separated from them um, a little bit, but it, it, him being a close friend was really nice and fun. So Joe Scavron, great visit. We've had David Faraday. You heard Curtis Strange. You heard Andy North. We've had so many great guests, and uh, we appreciate all your support. This is brought to you by darty business solutions we've got our innovations and in golf segment coming up tip segment also our picks of the week the u.s open week is here and this week it's at la country club coming up next innovations in golf we're going to get into turf it may change as we move forward in these years of golf and it's amazing what may happen that's next Darty Business Solutions, our title sponsor, is a leader in our community in so many areas. Do they have over 2,500 teammates in over 30 states and three countries? Yes, they do. Are they the largest IT consultant firm in our area? Yes, they are. Are they the largest software developer in the region? Yes, they are. But here are a few more important things to know about Darty Business Solutions. They were the presenting sponsor of the Ascension Charity Classic. This is a community game changer. First of all, it builds diversity in the IT workforce. Hundreds of mostly African-American women are getting fifty dollars to $60,000 a year jobs right out of high school. That's right, right out of high school. Ron Darty, company founder, chaired the 2023 Heartball, which supported the local American Heart Association chapters and raised over $600,000 in one evening. These are just a few examples of the many things that Darty Business Solutions do for our community. Darty Business Solutions. Innovations in golf beyond the fairways presented by Darty Business Solutions. I tease the fact that turf can change and people are like, what do you mean? It's grass out there. They grow the grass. There's different types of grass depending on where you're at, weather-wise in the country or in North America or wherever you play worldwide. But they're talking about, the USGA, talking about certain aspects of turf that you don't even have to water. That sounds crazy to me. Danny, the, the innovation segment, our, our thought when it comes to turf is will blow people away. One of the biggest challenges for golf as we move into the future is water. Restrictions on how much water you can use for a golf course and, and to maintain. And if we don't come up with different alternatives, you know, we're going to have a problem. There are certain grasses that are out there now. And everybody knows the difference when a grass, you know, well, you go on vacation in Florida and you get a lot of Bermuda and St. Augustine and some of the thick blades stuff down there compared to where when you go to Arizona and so you'll see a lot of ryegrass in the winter and that real fine dark dark green stuff like they have at Augusta with the overseed you go to other places in the Midwest there's zoysia there's all sorts of different turfs everybody can see that but the USGA is coming up with different turf that is going to be great to play off of and need hardly any maintenance it's it's absolutely insane I don't know the first thing about how they genetically engineer stuff like that Danny but I do know they're spending millions of dollars all the time to try to make this more playable and more user-friendly and less expensive. Maybe a dumb question. Artificial turf? I mean, we see it in football. You see it in uh, baseball. Is there anything like that that's even being talked about? Well, you know, we've got the top of the rock that Johnny Morris, the the owner of uh, Bass Pro Shops, did down in uh, Branson, Missouri, which is a absolutely spectacular new kind of idea. So absolutely, they're going to they're, that's in play. Not necessarily for the PGA Tour, but PGA Tour is a small sliver of golf. We're talking about trying to make the game 
uh, more fan friendly, more user friendly, and not quite as, uh, as expensive. And synthetic turf and some of the variations definitely in play. Mention the turf in Florida, the Midwest. You've got it different uh, in Arizona, certainly in California. Does that change from a golfer's perspective how you attack the golf ball? The yeah, turf. it absolutely does. I mean, playing on a harder, firmer surface compared to a sandy, softer surface, you absolutely have to work on your angle of, of attack a little bit. A lot of times the club will bounce into the harder turf more than it will. So, like, when you go up, Danny, the first couple of times I played up north where we go to Minnesota, Wisconsin, where there's generally soft turf and it's generally bent grass. Man, I took a divot. It looked like I could start a, start a sod farm with it, you know? <laughs> it's a three-footer and weighs like a pound and a half. And and when you go down to Arizona and Florida, you don't do that at all. That sand just kind of explodes and all goes away. So definitely different compared to uh, in different parts of the country. We're brought to you by Darty Business Solutions. Our theme on this particular edition of Beyond the Fairways is being a caddy. So I want to get into the novice golfer coming up. And this is really simple, bare bones stuff of what you should do properly as a player. So if you're a caddy, you've got certain things that you have to do that are the right way to do it on the golf course. So we're going to get into that. And again, brought to you by Darty Business Solutions, tip segment coming up. Have you ever wanted tips from a PGA pro? It's the tip segment on Beyond the Fairways with PGA professional Jay Delsing and four-time Emmy Award-winning broadcaster Dan McLaughlin. This is for the golfer or maybe the experienced golfer, but the one that just got out there and they're trying to think, I'm, I'm playing with my, my buddies, I, I'm playing with my friends, I want to do things the proper way. I don't want to walk on a line of a putt. I want to figure out who putts first. I want to know how do you tend a pen. So let's get into that. Tending a pen when you play golf, do you ask the the player that you're with what do you do? Absolutely, Dan. No, it's a it's a wonder. This is a this is so crucial for the people that have been kind of intimidated by the etiquette of the game, the rules of the That's game, really the, way the, the way the game flows. So since they've changed the rule about having the, the flag stick in, the pin in, you can leave it in or out and it's no penalty. But in the old days, if you're on the putting green and your ball struck the pin, it was a two-stroke penalty. That's a big, big deal. So now you simply ask a player, would you like to pin in? I can attend it for you, meaning if he, if he wouldn't like it to stay in, he hits his putt, and as soon as he hits his putt, you pull it out and you kind of back out of that line a little bit. The general simplest way to think about how the game is played is that whomever is away farthest from the hole goes first, generally speaking. But, Danny, when you and I play, we play ready golf. Yes, let's we say, do. Let's say you and I, you're on one side of the fairway, I'm on the other, and I, I need to go get another club. I'm like, D, go ahead and hit. It doesn't sure. matter. 99% of the time, folks, you're going to be fine with that. From a strictly etiquette point, view like if you're on the putting green whoever is the furthest away will putt first they have this thing called continuous putting where if you if you knock your putt up two feet from the hole and there's you know the playing partners you're with are still uh, on the green waiting to putt if you can get in there without standing in one of their intended lines you can get in there and finish your your putt and that's totally acceptable so i'll ask you in the pga tour what is the biggest issue in following etiquette on the oh, PGA man. Tour, there's some things I'm sure that drove you crazy. Oh, yeah, you do. Well, you walk in somebody's line, and it's a 
big, big, big problem. Deal. We're talking about fights now because we're trying to, you know, you're trying to hold this putt and you put a, an extra footprint in my way. That's that's no that's no bueno. But Danny, one of the things, if it's your turn to putt and you're lining up your putt and you're standing behind your ball and someone walks between your ball and you, it'll yeah. be a fist fight. That never ever happens. It did happen one time to me when I was a, a rookie on tour. One caddy was trying to you know, a little gamesmanship. Oh yeah, and he was trying to flex a little bit, and we had we had some words, and it I was bet. yeah, it was interesting. And you know, I knew as a as a as a rookie, you got to stand your ground, or else they're going to try to run all over you. And if you don't stand your ground, they're going to push and push until there's nothing left. So, I had a comment that said something similar to this: "You see this putter? I might not be able to make a putt with it, but I'll hit you upside the head if you walk in my <laughs> line again." So we we had we had that taken care of right away. And in terms of the, the the greens, I mean, you just when you get around the hole, you usually mark your ball because the other players are going to be putting from some area where you're probably going to stand. So most of the time, you don't do the continuous putting thing. A lot of times, when you're playing with your buddies, so if you put it up there within a foot of the hole, they're going to give it to you. Exactly. So, and my dad told me something when I first started. I hear two. Now, if someone gives it to you, pick it up, you man. You better take Dude, it. Dude, just take it right away and run. You give me some three-footers, and I'm like, it's in my pocket quicker than oh, you yeah, could oh, say yeah. pick like, it oh, up. Oh, good. I didn't have to putt that down. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely. U- it's U.S. Open week out at uh, L.A. Country Club, and we'll get into our picks of the week, and that's next. We're presented by Darty Business Solutions. Darty Business Solutions, our title sponsor, is a leader in our community in so many areas. Do they have over 2,500 teammates in over 30 states and three countries? Yes, they do. Are they the largest IT consultant firm in our area? Yes, they are. Are they the largest software developer in the region? Yes, they are. But here are a few more important things to know about Darty Business Solutions. They were the presenting sponsor of the Ascension Charity Classic. This is a community game changer. First of all, it builds diversity in the IT workforce. Hundreds of mostly African-American women are getting fifty dollars to $60,000 a year jobs right out of high school. That's right, right out of high school. Ron Darty, company founder, chaired the 2023 Heartball, which supported the local American Heart Association chapters and raised over $600,000 in one evening. These are just a few examples of the many things that Darty Business Solutions do for our community. Darty Business Solutions. Where do we find the best golfers in the world this week? It's time for the picks segment on Beyond the Fairways. L.A. Country Club will host the U.S. Open. They hosted the 2017 Walker Cup. We heard from Andy North, Curtis Strange, two-time U.S. Open winners. I'll ask you, where does this uh, major rank for you? And you talked about it. Very, very important. Obviously, you're from the United States, so an incredibly important tournament on the PGA Tour, and for many, many reasons. Oh, yeah, Danny. I mean, it it is a a tournament you circle at the beginning of the year. You look and see. So what's neat about the U.S. Open, especially compared to the the Masters, is that the Masters venue never changes. It's at Augusta National every single year. The U.S. Open changes all the time. They're playing Los Angeles Country Club North. I went to UCLA 100 years ago. We got to play LA North. This golf course is a George Thomas original design. Gil Hans and his team have come in, restored it, and it is breathtaking. It is gorgeous. 
elevation changes in the middle of LA. Danny, it's right. Well, you know where it is. It's right at Wilshire Boulevard, right in the heart of Beverly Hills. I read an article years ago that said, if you took all the country clubs and you put them in a, tried to figure out what is the most valuable piece of land LA Country Club is it because it's right in the middle of Beverly Hills and there's two golf courses there. So there's a north and a south course. How about hole 11, which is a par three, nearly 300 yards. Watch that. And the background, to your point, is downtown LA. You can see the the skyscrapers and Absolutely. you know looking into the city. So pretty cool hole. So Danny, and they're also going to get a hole that can play, uh, is it number 15 that can play 82 yards or Correct. something like that. And so I got to tell you a little, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. So we're playing over there at, at, when we were at UCLA and the Playboy Mansion is up around the 13th. <laughs> Here we so, go. I know, I know. So of course, you know, I'm from the Midwest. I got a couple of buddies from all over the You're place. Intrigued. We're like, oh yeah. And I guess Hef had like a zoo back there because we could hear monkeys and, and all sorts of stuff. And, you know, we had this bright idea that we're going to climb these trees and look at it. Uh, that did not happen. <laughs> we um, we got a little bit up the tree and we're like, yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, yeah, no. yeah no, let's go play golf. I'm not sure you were looking for animals. I'm just going to say that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we heard animals, but we were looking for something else. Yeah, I gotcha. yeah. We wound up getting the clubs back in our hand. But the, the, the property itself is just stunning. It's beautiful. And it's it's going to be interesting, Danny, because one of the hallmarks to LA Country Club is the appearance of these super wide fairways. But they're not going to effectively play as wide as people think because the ball is going to trundle off to the sides and a lot of these fairways Danny are cambered so they're you know they're kind of pitched in the center and they fall off both ways so you hit these drives down the left center and right center of the fairways and they won't stay in the fairways and what's really interesting and and people think oh it's southern cal we're going to get this super temperate weather the marine layer comes in and you also get an afternoon breeze off the water in LA north is probably less than a mile from the ocean and that will make a difference and don't be surprised danny if you get some cooler temps in la in june which is not unusual and will really affect the ball and how far it goes we've helped a lot of people if you're better out there with our picks of the week we've been nailing these what things the, man we have been on fire we need to hear from somebody who's making some money with us i i well you're talking to one of them so uh that's been <laughs> yeah, good same not sure if i go with my picks sometimes i listen to the expert and i go with your picks but i'll throw it out here right now we don't talk about this before the show this is something that we do on our own and yeah. then kind of discuss and see where you're at okay i'm going with my favorite scotty scheffler he's been 12th or better in his last Last 15 starts, third place at the Memorial, the last event he played, finish inside the top five in four straight starts. It, it's not a bad pick any week with Scotty Scheffler. No, God, no. And, and and look at this guy's compete levels off the charts. And even when he doesn't have it and he has not been putting well uh, to, to his own admission, uh, he's always in the mix, and I, I love watching him. Man, I'm tied between Justin Rose. I've got Patrick Reed on my list this week. I've got Tommy Fleetwood as well. I'm going to go with Justin Rose. Justin, he's he's found his game. He's had a couple of really, really dark and down years. I'm going to go with Justin Rose uh, as as my favorite. I was interested if you're going to go with Kepka After what he's done in the Masters, he was sleeping on the lead on that Saturday night and then goes out and wins the PGA. So 
he's got to be one of the favorites, or at least you got to look at him for sure. Oh hell yeah, Danny's on top of my list. I got I've got Kepka, got Reed, uh, as I said, Rose, Fle- uh, uh, Chef. How do you not? I mean, it, when you're trying to pick, there's only one guy that gets to win. Yeah, you know, and that's why we do our favorite picks and and then our sleeper picks. So sleeper for me, dark horse will be Max Homa. Two top ten finishes in his last three starts, and we'll see if he can't get over the hump. He's a California kid. Exactly. He's got a great resume. He's won in L.A. before. He he won That's at, why the, I took at, him. The, at Riviera, which is outstanding, and um, and just right down the road, and another Thomas golf course. So there's a lot of similarities there. And and by the way, great guy, just a great guy. Trying to get him on the show, and that would be a lot of fun. My sleeper pick, I'm going to go with Tommy Fleetwood. This is going to be odd. He's never won in the U.S. He's got six wins on the DP Tour. Last week, he lost in a playoff in a crushing in crushing fashion on the fourth hole um, to Nick Taylor, and he's really trending well. He, he finished uh, at the British Open on a similar style golf course, hard and fast. I think he had a top five finish, so I'm going to go uh, with Tommy Fleetwood. Make sure and go back and listen to all our podcasts with some of the biggest names in golf. This is Beyond the Fairways presented by Doherty Business Solutions. And Jay, great to visit with you. We'll do it again next week. I hate that it's got to end, Danny, but we'll do it again next week. I look forward to being with you. Beyond the Fairways presented by Doherty Business Solutions.